the book of Acts. Victory no matter what, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, no matter what our church is going through, no matter what the country is going through, no matter how sick we are, uh, no matter what, we can have victory through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. I miss Marty shouting it at the front here, but he's sick today. Marty's sick today. So, uh, Marty, we missed you shouting that one there. All right, so power of the Holy Spirit. And the title for today is God's Shock Treatment. God's shock treatment. God uses life-changing events to fulfill his purposes in our life. Shocking events, life-changing events to fulfill his purposes. Acts 23, 11 to 35. Now, next week, just want to mention, um, next week my twin will be preaching. That's right, Sean. You know, we're, we're related to the Mayflower, right? But so we call each other twins. He's about... A foot taller than Amy, but we're twin twins, you know. And, uh, and, you know, he's going to be preaching and he's going to focus on Thanksgiving and pilgrims and connecting to our lives here in the United States today. Lots of parallels, lots of parallels. But I'm going to set the table for him, the Thanksgiving table for him. I'm going to start off with a little bit of Thanksgiving, uh, history here. It's actually, uh, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago and I did some digging. My, my cousin Jim Rosso, who's older than me, he's like the family historian now he and another cousin diane and uh but he's been sending me lots of information on the family so i dug into a lot of his stuff it was really fascinating uh with pilgrims um it turns out now that they've documented that we have i have 22 grandparents on the mayflower 22 grandparents including uh william bradford and then john alden you know john alden priscilla mullen the story about you know miles standish the love story. You guys don't watch Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. But anyway, uh, but, uh, Miles Standish sent John Alden. They were, he was a soldier, Miles Standish, and then John Alden was on the ship. He wasn't a pilgrim yet. He was just working as a, on the ship. And he sent him to propose to this uh, young lady, Priscilla Mullen. I think I got it right. And he went to propose, and she said, why don't you speak for yourself, John Alden? And so he proposed himself, <laughs> and Miles Standish was not happy he left. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, so I'm related to him, too. Um, why, but it's just wild. You read this story. Why did they take this dangerous journey and live in this dangerous new land? It was, it was just like flying to Mars, right? This is how crazy it was. Why did they do that? Half of the adults died in the first year after landing, after that horrible voyage. Half died in the first year. Why did they take that voyage? Because of persecution. Because of persecution. They were hounded out of England uh, by the apostate church of England. They were hounded out of that. And, but long before the Mayflower, I've been reading another book I'd mentioned before, there was almost a hundred years of persecution leading to the Mayflower. A hundred years, and that's what caused this, this whole movement, this biblical group to form a group called the Separatists. The Separatists. They separated from the apostate Church of England. They stuck to the God's word, uh, and, and that, that was, that's what caused it. They chose to follow the Bible instead of the man-made traditions of the Church of England. And there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they don't contradict the Bible. But if they contradict the Bible, we throw them out, right? And that's what many of these traditions were contradicting the Bible. They were jailed. These separatists were jailed. Uh, a lot of you have heard of John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote that in prison. He was in prison, I think, 12 years. Prison for 12 years. Unbelievable. Uh, they were whipped. They were burned at the stake. 
I was doing my research and I found out one of my grandfathers, uh, Edward Whiteman, was burned at the stake in England. In fact, he was in 1612, he was the last person burned at the stake in England for heresy. That was my grandpa. Uh, he was arrested because he was baptizing, doing adult baptism, believer baptism. He was doing believer baptism instead of sprinkling, so they arrested him. They put him in prison, and over the couple of years, they kept questioning him. And then he finally did admit uh, <laughs> that he denied the Trinity. He, he believed Jesus was... Uh, I'll read what he says here. Uh, he, he, he said... Let's see here... Um, he called baptizing infants an abominable custom. We won't go there. But finally spelled his end was a public rejection of the Trinity. He's stating that Christ was only a man, uh, a perfect man without sin, but still created by God. So he actually was a heretic. <laughs> so we would call it false teaching today. But the people that burned him at the stake were far more apostate than him. The king and, and the Church of England are far more apostate. It's like calling the kettle the, the uh, kettle calling the help me the pot calling the kettle black right yeah or vice versa right uh, so it, it was it was crazy and the king and the Church of England really did burn many solid believers uh, at the stake whipped them you know, stone you know killed them lots of different ways chased them out uh, so it, he was killed because he actually did have an off he was off on that but uh, there was there was many that were very godly and orthodox that were that were killed and chased out so God used persecution to separate his people used the persecution to separate the true believers to separate his people in England and and he then used that same persecution to lead them out to the new land to America where we're here because of them the pilgrims uh, because of that we're here physically but we're also here spiritually because of that but even when they got into the United America not the United States yet God still used persecution to lead them for his purposes Still use persecution, even here. I had another grandfather who was whipped in Massachusetts by the Puritans. The Puritans ended up becoming those very monsters that they didn't like in England. They, they, they weren't much better than the Church of England when all was said and done. That's what happened with the Puritans. Uh, I had another grandfather who was chased out of Massachusetts for believer baptism. He believed in be baptizing believers. I don't know where he would get that from, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> crazy, right? But he was chased out of Massachusetts for that by these Puritans. Uh, and he went into the wilderness where he befriended the Indians. And he became a great defender of the Indians. In fact, he started trying to get the king to force people to pay for the land. John, he said, King, you can't just give the land away. This isn't their, your land. You have to at least reimburse the Indians. So he was a great advocate for the uh, Indian, the American Indian tribes. He ended up establishing the first Baptist church in America, my grandpa. First Baptist church in America. Everybody who has Baptistic roots now has, has, come, has come from that very ministry. Uh, they, the Baptist, Baptist denominations now dwarf all other Protestant denominations in America. I don't know if you know that. The, what's the largest Protestant denomination? It's the Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists, right? And then there's lots of other Baptist groups. Uh, anyway, uh, my grandpa then went on to establish the colony of Rhode Island. Are you starting to figure out who I'm talking about? Roger Williams. 
Not many history people here, right? Roger Williams, uh, who established the colony of Rhode Island, started the first Baptist ministry. Uh, that was my grandpa. So I'm like Baptist royalty. Anyway, I'm teasing my Baptist pastor friends here. So, but but it, what 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 brought all that about? What brought Rhode Island about? What brought the Baptist Church about? What brought it all about was persecution. That's the point. God uses persecution and other shocking measures to fulfill his purpose. And we're going to see that very thing. God uses something shocking to fulfill his purpose. We're going to see that in the book of Acts. Father, we thank you for bringing each of us here. We know that you've used lots of different measures Many of them shocking to bring us to Jesus, to bring us to New Hope Community Church, to bring us to follow to follow Jesus and to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if anybody here has never put their faith, anybody listening to this is never watching this, never has come to the cross, that you would do whatever it takes to bring them there. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I got three P's for you. I, I worked hard at this. Three P's. The first is purpose, Acts 23:11. Now, we know what happened. Paul was just speaking to the uh, Sanhedrin. Well, let me start with this. Last week, we, we saw that Paul uh, went to the Sanhedrin and how he was fulfilling Acts 9:15 to 16, the prophecy for him. In Acts 9:15, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel, I will show them how much he must suffer for my name. And so we saw that very thing happening last week where Paul was before the Sanhedrin, suffering before the Sanhedrin. Remember, slapped, beat, knocked around by them. And today we're going to shift to going from the Sanhedrin to the Gentiles and their kings, which is the rest of the book of Acts. That's what we're going to see. The next, the rest of the last five chapters are all about the Gentiles and their kings. And this is fulfilling the prophecy, God's purpose for Paul. And so let's go to uh, Acts 23:11, where we see, first of all, the first be purpose. God says, "The following night, the Lord stood near to Paul." This is after the Sanhedrin. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, "Take courage, have you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify." in Rome. And God gives him his purpose. The first P, purpose. God gives Paul a vision on to Rome. And that's why we're going to see Paul, the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is just taking the long and winding road to Rome. All right. We're going to see in Acts 25 that Paul appeals to Caesar uh, when he's on trial. He appeals to Caesar. Why did he appeal to Caesar? Because of this very vision. Because it was God's purpose for him to go to Rome. And we, we see that with Paul, God, and, and this verse here, uh, that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, Acts 9.16. We're going to see that God's purpose are often painful. They're often painful. It ends, what did Paul end up when he gets to Rome? At the end of the day, with all the Roman trials and all that he went through imprisonments, what was the end? Beheaded. He was beheaded. Paul knew that, and yet he still was focused on fulfilling his purpose, and he went to Rome anyway. So we see this very thing that his purpose, God gives him a purpose. That's the first thing. We all have a purpose. God has given us all a purpose. And let's see how God fulfills the purpose for Paul. How did he get him to go to start his purpose, and how did he get him to fulfill that? Acts 23 Verse 12, where it says the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy 
and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. <laughs> they, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Whoa. All right, so Paul, the, the, the purpose was to go to Rome, but God uses a P plot, a plot to start Paul on his way to fulfilling that very purpose. God uses that plot. God uses persecution Persecution, I use the word plot, but persecution, we see in Acts that persecution is God's number one tool <laughs> to sharpen the Christians. Number one tool, tool to get them out to where they're supposed to be. Remember when they, they were all had coinonitis, they were stuck in Jerusalem. God sent persecution to scatter the church so they would fulfill the great commission in the book of Acts. And we see that very thing, that God uses persecution. It's not just persecution. God often uses crazy painful, scary circumstances to propel us, right? He uses something hard, something scary, something that we got to get on our knees and pray about, something that wakes us up. He does that to propel us. Why does God do that? Because we don't like change. <laughs> we like to be comfortable, right? We're hobbits at heart. We all like to be comfortable, right? So, so God uses that. Think of our church here. We've talked about this many times. The, the attacks that we faced when we first started the church from the radical, the radical uh, segment of the homosexual community here. And they, they attacked us. But what did that do? That opened many doors for ministry for us. And it opened many eyes to see Jesus Christ. And it opened our to see the need to minister to this very group. And then also, we used to always joke about that. Some of you have been here at the beginning, remember, with all this stuff in the newspaper and the TV and all the attacks and the petitions going around and going after us because we are following God's word. All right? Because we are following God's word. And uh, it was, we were joking about how we, everybody in New Hope, Solbury, and Lamberville knew all about us. It was free advertising. Other churches have to pay for advertising. We didn't have to pay. It was constantly in front of everybody what our church was doing. And it's interesting now that God is using the homosexual pressure, that same radical group uh, in, the, in, in the entire country, the, the pressure and the attacks that God is using right now. To the churches, you see the church is constantly under, uh, you know, verbal and some kind of assault from this very community. And what is the result? So many people are saying, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. You know what? I'm thankful for it. You know why? Because it's exposing the true Christians from the false. We are seeing Christians and ministries and celebrities and worship celebrities cave in on homosexual sin. Caving in, affirming it. Not, you know, we should speak the truth in love. We love, we love the homosexual community, but we never stop speaking the truth. We speak the truth in love. Uh, Ephesians 4, I think. All right, we speak the truth in love, but there's so many Christians that are caving in churches, ministries that, that I followed for many years. I'm like, well, well they're caving in and affirming it. And, but <clears throat> what is God doing? He's using them to do us a favor. We are now seeing who's real and who's not. You cannot affirm any kind of sin and call yourself a Christian. Jesus said, if you obey me, you are really my disciples. 
That's, what the, the, that's how we know. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching. And so what we are seeing so many people that we thought were Christians, they're not. They're apostate at best, but probably false. God is separating the wheat from the weeds. He's separating the sheep from the goats. He's separating them. The wheat from the chaff. Lots of different parallels we can use. He's separating them because whenever you see a Christian affirm sin, whether it's homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, you know, any kind of sin, when you see that affirmed, you know they are not true Christians. And God is using this, this, this light persecution at this point from the homosexual community to separate the true from the false, and he's doing us a favor. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. He's got to use something to show us who's real and who's not. So we see the, the purpose, we see the plot, and then we see the protection. And this is, when I get this, this third P, the protection, no, remember this. No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what is happening to our church or the church in America, whatever is happening in our world, remember that God is allowing it for his ultimate purpose. Whatever happens, God is allowing it for his ultimate purpose. Even though, even though God often, usually uses pain to propel us to our purpose, even though he does that, he is still in complete control. Think of a surgeon doing an operation. It's painful, right? But God's surgery, God is in complete control of what he's doing in our life of that surgery no matter what happens he can and will use it for his purpose even if it's some we mess up or someone else messes up god can still work his purpose romans eight twenty eight. i hope you have this one memorized uh you know and we know that in all things in in telling all things god works for the good of those who have been who love him who have been called according to his purpose no matter what has happened he will still take the pieces and work it for his good purpose for good and for his good purpose and we have to hang on to that promise and knowing that frees us frees us up to look for what god is doing instead of looking at the pain instead of looking at the the, the problem we, our look, our prayer is, God, what are you doing? This, it hurts. And I'm perplexed. Perplexed, but not crushed, right? Remember the verse, you know, struck down, but not destroyed. Uh, you know, like, you know th- th- that's the, the point is we're, we're perplexed. But God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Instead of saying, God, get rid of this. Take this away. Heal this, do this, you know, you know, gumball God, you know, put in your penny prayer and out it pops, you know. Instead of demanding God fix something right away, now we hope for healing, we hope for all those things, right? But instead of demanding it right away, say, first, our prayer should be, God, why is this happening? What are you trying to accomplish in my life? What are you trying to accomplish in my kids' lives? What are you trying to accomplish in people in church? A lot of times you guys call me with a prayer request, and I don't just say, oh, God, take it away. I don't pray that. I say, God, what are you trying to do in their life? I really hope it goes away, you know, because I don't like to see anybody hurting, right? But, but God, fulfill your purpose first. First fulfill your purpose and then bring the healing. Then bring the, the relief of the trial. Then, but first, my first prayer for my life, 
<laughs> it's harder to pray for myself that way. But for you, it's easy. Uh, as, uh, I say, God, please fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. What, what is your purpose? And it, it helps us to free us up to look for that. I think of when we lost our son, Ryan. We held on to Romans 8.28. Just held on to that. I know, God, you're going to bring about good. I know you're going to fulfill your good purpose. And now, all these years later, five years later, we can see many of those purposes. We have little Laurel. You know, what a blessing. You know, wow, what a, what a blessing she's been to us. And, and, we, and I've seen the effect on our other kids. You know, they've shared, the friends have shared the spiritual impact that that's made. How God used them to shock them and to you know, bring them out of certain things or propel them for, to their purpose. See lots of that. See that in other people's lives too. And, and we, we, but we, we have to keep that perspective. God, what are you trying to do? I'm going to trust in your purpose. And we need to have this perspective in these coming days in the United States. We got a little low here, right? Got a, got a calm month, right? But hey, we see what's coming. We have to have this perspective. This perspective. Now, the first protection we see with Paul, we talk about protection. The first protection we see for Paul is in Acts 23, verse 16. Let's in the, look at the first level of protection. But when the son of Paul's sister, that makes him his nephew, right? When the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give him to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him they have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him they already they are ready now waiting for your consent to their request the commander dismissed the young man with this warning don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me the first protection is the nephew tattletales right the nephew, first of all, that even heard the plot. What are the odds, right, that this kid hears the plot? And then on top of that, he has the, the nerve to go report it. Very scary, very dangerous, right? What are the odds all this would happen, that this kid would hear this? It's, it's just a coinkadink, right? Right? There are no coinkadinks. Remember that sermon? There are no coinkadinks. God was in control of this. He used it to protect them. The nephew is then sent by Paul to tell the commander, which leads to another layer of protection. Another layer of protection, starting with verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. The Romans don't mess around, right? 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight, provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as followed Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops <clears throat> and rescued him for I had learned that he was is a Roman citizen. Little, little, uh, Spin doctoring there, right? (laughs) 
See how he spun? Remember last time? He spun that, didn't he? He found out after he was ready to beat the, beat the tar out of Paul. He found that out, right? Uh, verse 28. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against them. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to Gov and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from, learning that it was from Cilicia. He said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Wow. Paul even got to ride a horse. You know, he's used to walking everywhere, right? The Calvary, uh, Paul gets a royal escort. That's what he gets. He gets a royal escort. Think about this. The Calvary delivers him. The governor, Felix, signed, sealed, and delivered. Nothing can touch us. No one can kill us until it's God's time. Amen. That's why we can live fearless lives. Fearless lives if we're living by faith. If we're living by faith, we can live fearless. We don't have to worry what sickness we got. We don't have to worry about what's going on with a riot. We don't have to worry about what war is going to break. We don't have to worry. We can live fearless lives if we're living by faith. By faith. Let's connect the dots. Paul's purpose. God has the same purpose for every one of us. Every one of us, there is a distinct purpose purpose for our lives that we were created for are we ready to follow that purpose i'm going to warn you everybody oh yeah yeah i'm going to do that yeah it will involve pain how do we know that look at paul's call look at jesus look at the apostles look at the new testament church if you are going to follow god's purpose for your life there will be pain, and most of it will be in the form of persecution, and we're going to see it. Will you follow God no matter what? There's a song by Mercy Me called Even If. not going to sing it for you, but uh, the whole point is no matter what you do, God, I'm still going to follow you. I remember Chuck, remember you sharing that after Joan passed, talking to me about this very song. And I'm just going to do one verse here. He says, I know you are able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. Will we have that same faith, that same perspective, that biblical holding on to that promise that no matter what you call me to, God, I'm going to follow you. No matter what I'm going to go through. And God often, when, we, when we're, God's accomplishing his purpose, he often uses shocking events, 
shocking events to get us moving. Just like Paul. Look at what he used with Paul. We just gloss over that, right? They're going to murder him. 40 people, 40 hitmen out to assassinate him. It's crazy. We just gloss over it. This is, this is intense. But God often uses shocking events to move us, get us moving spiritually in the right direction. I know on the farm, we, uh, when a cow was sick and couldn't get up, we had something called a shocker. Anybody ever see the shocker? You know what I'm talking about? It's this, this kind of a wand you hold in your hand and you squeeze it and there's these two prongs and the electricity goes between. You could see, you could hold it up and, zzz, you know, and you'd, you'd stick that on the cow and you'd give it a zap to get them up. And if they couldn't get up, <clears throat> you start looking for more sensitive spots to get them up. Why? Because if they didn't get up, what's going to happen? They die. The cow's got to get up. They've got to get up. And, and so we would use this shocker to get them up. And I'll never forget my cow. I had my very first calf. My dad gave us all a calf. And, uh, and that was our calf. And my calf was named Sunday. I named her Sunday. I can't remember why. I think she was born on Sunday. Maybe my dad remembers. My mom remembers. But I called her Sunday. Uh, and she was my cow and grew up and had calves. I showed her at fair, first of all, I, when she was younger. I showed her at the fair and got a blue ribbon. And I was all excited about having my, uh, my cow at the fair. And so then she grew up and she started having babies. And what, if my dad had a deal worked out. If your cow had a baby bull, a bull calf, you had to sell it. You got $100, it was gone. But if it had a, a girl, you got to keep it, and, and that could have more babies. And and crazy thing is she kept having girl after girl after girl. So I pretty soon, I had, and they kept having babies, pretty soon I had all these cows, you know, and, the, and you know, I'll never forget my dad come to me, you know, was it Jacob who had all the, was it Jacob? Yeah, Jacob, right? I, I became like Jacob. He came to me and said, you've got to sell your cows. You're going to have the whole herd. You know, he's giving me a hard time. You know, I go, you know, so it was really funny. But anyway, uh, but Sunday, I just loved this cow. And so she she got milk fever or something, uh, you know, the mastitis milk fever, and she couldn't get up. And she was getting older. She had a lot of calves, but I still loved Sunday. And she was a great milker still. She gave lots of milk, but she couldn't get up one day. Oh, took the shocker, couldn't get her up. Couldn't get her up. Tried everything. Couldn't get her up. My dad, I was like, my, my dad, we can't get rid of her. We got to keep her. She's going to get up. She's going to get up. So we moved her to the part of the barn where she could just lay there. And I would feed her and all that. Try to get her up. One day I came out and she wasn't there. She had crawled out of the door, the side door of this part of the barn, crawled out. And I went looking for her. I couldn't find her. She was in the pond. There was a pond right out there. She was swimming around the pond. I was like, ah! Yeah. I was like, get out of the pond. But, but so my dad came and one of, my, one of his friends was there, Paul, what was his name. He was actually my Sunday school teacher at one point. One point. And they tried to get her. They got the rope and they were pulling her. And they got her up onto the shore. She could swim around because, you know, the, the buoyant, right? But she couldn't still get up. He said, we're going to have to put her down. I was like, you're not killing my cow. He's like, she can't get up. It's been a week, right? She's not going to get up. And so they finally had to put her down. I was so mad. I was kidding my dad. 
this week about it. We were, I don't even know why it came up, but I was already planning on using this story. And I said, I wasn't mad at you, Dad. I was mad at Paul. He's the one who did it, you know, the, the gun. You know, I was so mad. He's the one who did it. I was so mad at him for as long, but he had to. She couldn't get up. And it's, uh, <clears throat> and it's not just cows, is it? It's not just cows. People, too, can have the same issues, right? Someone in our church, I'm not allowed to say his name, uh, but, but he said I could tell the story. He was having heart rhythm problems and is still having them. And so they finally uh, had this uh, last week. They took him to the hospital and they, they had to shock his heart to try to reset the rhythm. You know, the AFib, try to reset the rhythm. He's got these burn marks on him, you know, but they, they actually, they put him to sleep. Not put him to sleep like Sunday, but they actually put him to sleep. Uh, they, they, they put him out, and then they shocked him and reset the heart, jolted the heart to try to reset the rhythm. And it worked for a couple of days, and it's not working again. So now they're going to try something else. All right? But, but it happens to people, too. And <clears throat> spiritually, are you making the connection? Spiritually, that's what we get like. We can't, we don't get up, you know, we're dying spiritually or we, or we're, we're sleepy or we're, we're, we're back. The Bible calls it backslidden and, or, or we're sleepy or we're dying spiritually. And what does God do? He sends a shock into our life to get us up again, right? Get, try to get us, go, get us up spiritually, get us going again. Or when our hearts are out of whack spiritually, you know what I'm talking about? Our hearts get out of whack spiritually, and God will jolt us to get our hearts back in the right spiritual order. Now, I know nobody here has ever had any of this happen before, but you might know somebody like this. Maybe, and, and it's usually a shocking thing, isn't it? Something happens that really gets us on our knees. Something scares us. Why? What is he trying to do? He's trying to do something in our life or in someone who we, are, we love, their lives. He, he's, he's trying to you know, get our attention. And, and sometimes it's the loss of a loved one or we lose a business or we're fired from a job or there's a painful breakup. It could be anything. I'm just throwing out a couple of things. It could be anything. I'm sure we're all thinking of some things right now. And he's trying to reset our hearts. He's trying to, or maybe it's not anything that needs to be reset. Maybe he's just trying to set us on a new direction. It's nothing we did wrong, but he has a new purpose for our life. And so he, he does it for that purpose. Uh, I, I think of uh, uh, Chuck, when, when he talked about what happened with his son, Scott. Remember Scott? Before he did Charity Water, he, he was in the nightclub life. And what did God use to get him out there, out of there? This the bouncer, right? The bouncer turned into an assassin. Uh, this is what he used to get Scott out of that nightlife. And it's in his book. The charity book is back on the table. If you've never read it, read it. What a powerful testimony of God's grace. But, but he, 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 that's how he bounced him out of that life. Used the bouncer to bounce him out of that life to get him to start charity water. And the rest is history, right? Uh, but <clears throat> what shocking event is God or has God used to reach you and do we when this does happen do we trust God's protection just like Paul the protection do we trust God's protection when he uses these life-changing life-shattering events in our life when he uses this and yes we've got to grieve 
When, when we lose someone or lose something or lose a dream or lose whatever it is, we, you have to grieve it. We're human beings. Yeah, we're Christians, but we're, we're not super Christians. We're Christians, but we're people. We, got, we have to grieve it, right? But as we grieve, we, we have to keep our faith and trust. Keeping our faith and trust. And then as we go through that, we have to look for God's leading. What is God trying to tell us? What is he trying to move me to do in my life as he's removed this in my life or used this event in my life, this shocking event? What is he trying to tell me? Where is he trying to lead me? What is he trying to accomplish in my life? Uh, I was thinking of different things in my life. One of them is a school. You know, we've been part of the New Hope Sobery School for a long time. Uh, ever since we've been here, as, 23 years, we've had our, we have a senior now. He'll be our 10th graduate from that school, our 10th graduate. We love the school, but we're taking our kids out. We have no choice. And it's hard to do. It's sad. The youngest three, for sure, are coming out. It's sad. But I know God's warning us. And I know he's saying, you better, we got to protect them. And, and, uh, but, but the question is, God, what's next? It's sad to leave the school. But God, what, what are you leading each of the kids? What is, what is next? What, are you, what is your purpose here? And some, at least one may stay in. But God, what, what are you leading us? And that's the same way with all of us as we are facing what's going on in our culture. What is God? God is separating us from the world. Have you seen that happen in your life? Are you sensing that? God is separating us from the world. We are all pilgrims. The pilgrims were just the first there. We're, we're all, if we follow Jesus Christ, we are all pilgrims. Whether you have 22 grandparents on the Mayflower or not, we're still pilgrims. Every one of us. And God is preparing us for something. He's, we see the storm clouds. We see the persecution. We see it all coming. It's happening all over the world already. But God is using this to prepare us for the second coming. He's using this to prepare us for Jesus coming again. He's getting us to focus our eyes on heaven. That's what he does when all these things happen in our life. He's trying to refocus us on Jesus and heaven. Because where are we really aiming for? This earth? This is a garbage dump compared to heaven. The best place on earth is a garbage dump compared to heaven. What, what life-changing event has God used or is God using right now to fulfill his purpose for your life? What life-changing event to refocus us. Or maybe you don't even need refocusing. Maybe he just wants to laser focus us. We already have the right focus, but he wants to intensify that focus. Refocus us or to laser focus us on his ultimate purpose for our lives. Colossians 3 says this very thing. In Colossians 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. And I'll keep that one. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That is what God is trying to do in every one of our life. I guarantee that is one of the purposes of whatever you're going through. We know that for sure. And, and so when something happens, we say, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to tell me? And will I follow you in faith? Will I follow in faith? And maybe you're hearing you're not a Christian yet. And God does the same thing to bring us to faith in Christ. We're already, those who are already Christians, he's trying to refocus, laser focus. But, but maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And God will use something. What is he using in your life? To bring you to the cross, to bring you to your knees, to bring you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God, think of all of our lives. That's what he did, right? That's what he does. He breaks us and brings us to the cross and to our knees. What is he using in your life? To bring you to faith. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That word believe is not intellectual. It's heart. In the Greek it means to completely trust in Jesus. Have you ever taken that step of faith? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What fire is he putting in our heart right this moment? Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never taken that step of faith, of repenting for your sin and turning away from the world and becoming a pilgrim, a follower of Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. Right now, you can get on that ship, just like the pilgrims. You can get on that ship called Jesus Christ and put your faith in him to take you from this old world to a new world. Life in Jesus Christ. Will you pray that prayer of faith? confirming what's already happening in your heart this very moment. God, I don't want the sin. I don't want the world. I don't want the garbage. I don't want the lies. I don't want the shame anymore. I repent of all of that. I want to put my faith in Jesus. His death on the cross that washed away, the blood that washed away my sin. His resurrection from the dead that promises a new life for me. I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I want to follow 
him. I get on the boat. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have just started on an adventure that makes the Mayflower look like nothing. You are now a pilgrim, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you're on the adventure of a life that will go from now to all eternity in heaven someday with God as your Father. I want to encourage you to tell somebody today. Don't let this day pass. Tell, tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Stick it in the box. Tell a family member or a friend. Tell somebody today. So that we can be excited for you. Someone can be excited for you wherever you are. And we can help you grow in your new life in Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we willing to pray, God, fulfill your purpose for my life? Use whatever it takes to fulfill your purpose in my life, in my children's lives, and in my friend's life, whoever you're praying for, whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes to fulfill your purpose, to grow them spiritually, to grow me spiritually. And I'm going to trust in your protection. I'm going to follow you in faith. Father, pray your Holy Spirit would drive this deep into our hearts, would change the whole way that we look at life, that we look at everything. Your purpose, your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name.